Hey, everybody. Just a quick note about today's episode. If you haven't seen the sixth episode of Star Trek Continues, Come Not Between the Dragons, then stop now. This supplemental episode is filled with spoilers, and we don't want to ruin anything for you. So go ahead, watch the episode, and then come on back and listen to our bonus conversation with Vic Mignogna. Podcast Log Supplemental. It's been several solar days since the release of Episode 6, Come Not Between the Dragons. Reception has been very positive. So much so that Starfleet Command has decided to send STC Envoy and executive producer Vic Mignogna to the Trek Geeks podcast to discuss the episode and the reaction. As the first guest to ever appear on the podcast three times, I can only hope that Bill and Dan are up to the challenge. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to the real voice actor and artist, Vic. Thanks for joining us once again. This incredible episode is out for everybody to see, and you have hit a grand slam, man. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, guys. I am so excited for the response to Episode 6. We have gotten so many amazing messages just in the few days since it's been out, and uh, it's, it's overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. The uh, the episode title itself is a reference from Shakespeare's King Lear, if I'm not mistaken. It's been yes. a, it's been a while since I've read that one, but what caused the inspiration for that particular title? Well, you know what? I've got to give credit for that to James Kerwin. <clears throat> James is one of our producers and and uh, has directed a few of our episodes, and he and I have have worked on a lot of the scripts since he came on board. And James is just an overall brilliant guy, and um, when this story was penned, the original working title uh, from the author was Space Rage. And I always – I remember saying to James, you know, that just kind of sits there. It's kind of flat and it reminds me of Space Seed and uh, and I feel like we could come up with something better. And uh, in true James Kerwin fashion, he went off and came back a few days later and – and said, what about Come Not Between the Dragons? I'm like, oh, my God, I love it. So, um, yeah, so that's how it came about. We see in this episode Captain Kirk has clearly evolved as a leader, but at the same time, there are times where he steps back and he lets Ensign Taylor become the first person to talk to who turns out his name Uzi. We also realize that his word foo doesn't always work and his speeches won't always win the day. I love the line where he said, you know, give a rousing speech. What went into that thought process for having the captain do what he did? I will tell you exactly. That was an extremely conscious, deliberate uh, move on my part. Um, I felt – I always felt like people – I've I've wanted to in STC I've wanted to dispel a lot of misconceptions about Kirk. Mm-hmm. As you know, from the White Iris, I wanted to dispel some misconceptions about him just being a a, a heartless, soulless womanizer. Um and and I also wanted to dispel the idea of Kirk thinking that he could just descend upon some culture and give a speech and suddenly a century of tradition and a century old uh, you know, way that they've been doing things, suddenly they realize, you know, that they're completely wrong and they change their ways. <clears throat> so I felt like this would be an opportunity for Kirk to at least have the wisdom to recognize that he may not be the best envoy. 
Um, you know what I mean? Like it takes a leader to know when someone else should be pushed forward. Right. And so, so Kirk is the classic leader in that he's the one that decides to hand the translator to uh, Taylor, to, to, to Gigi's character. And he's the one in the end of the episode who decides to go to Taylor's quarters and say, you know what? I couldn't get through to him. I acknowledge that. I couldn't I couldn't just give him a big speech and change everything, but maybe you can. And I'm going to tell you guys a, a, an interesting story that nobody knows. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Definitely. We're going to break this news on your podcast. Oh, sweet. <laughs> we shot this whole episode last November. And when we finished, when I got the episode home and I edited the episode, it was coming in at like 38 or 39 minutes, 40 minutes. And I was like, holy heck, this, it's really short. Now, we were going to be going back in February mm-hmm. to shoot the rest of episode seven. Mm-hmm. So I talked to James Kerwin and I said, you know what? I'm going to write another scene. And, and your, your first impression would be, oh, you don't just want to make up some superfluous scene as a time filler because that would, you know, that would weaken the story. Right. If you, you know, if you just make up some scene and and it's just jammed in there and it doesn't really do anything, it doesn't really advance the story, you know, and it just looks like a time filler. So I was thinking about what is it that we really need to see? And that's when it came to me. I want to see a moment in the briefing room with Kirk and Spock. Wow. Where Spock comes into Kirk and says, "I want to apologize." You know, I owe you an apology. And Kirk says, well, you know, hey, you know, there's a lot of that going around. I owe you an apology. And then have it morph into Kirk's reflecting on not always being able to give a rousing speech and and how frustrating it was for him that all he got back from Usti's father was silence. And then allow Spock to put in Kirk's mind the idea Mm -hmm. that sometimes the best person to lead someone down an unfamiliar path is someone that's been down that path themselves already. And that's what gives Kirk the idea to go to Gigi's quarters, you know, and have her talk to the dad. Um, so my, my point is it started out as we need to make this episode longer, but the beauty of it is that the, that the scene works perfectly and it is, and it, it fits, it serves a legitimate purpose it advances the story. It creates some wonderful, humorous, endearing moments between Spock and Kirk mm-hmm. when they're joking about, you know, I forgive you and I'm sorry for shooting you. <laughs> and, you know, um, some of that stuff. And and uh, so that moment about Kirk reflecting on how frustrating it was not to always be able to give a speech and change everything with a snap of his fingers was actually – a scene that I wrote after the after the episode was shot, and we sh- and we shot that scene four months later, three months three months later. That's amazing because to me, that's one of the most important 
scenes of the whole episode. Uh, like you said, there are so many things in that episode that click right. To me, that personal relationship between Kirk and Spock really shines through in that scene for those yes. reasons that you just brought up. That's amazing that that was added after the fact. That's great. Yes. Yeah. And I, that's where – that's another one of those – that's another one of hundreds of little, little things that I've seen – in Star Trek continues that makes me feel so strongly that this production is kind of divine, divine providence guided in some ways, Mm -hmm. like just the way that things happen, the people that come to us, the, the people that we've brought into our production, our crew members, our production members, um, the stories that we've, that we've, that we've told, uh, the way things that have happened, it just feels so much bigger than than us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when you get letters from people a day after the episode is released talking about their own talking about their own childhood and how they found themselves in tears at the end of this episode because of how they related to it, and then even getting letters from grown men who ref- who literally said they identified with the dad yes and how they they felt like in reflecting on their the way they raised their children that they were verbally abusive and that watching this episode they were a, a puddle of tears at the end and that they were going to reach out and make amends with their children oh my gosh i mean is there any greater gift that we could be given than to have been able to have impacted people's lives like that? Absolutely. I don't think so. You know, from my perspective, I was one of those people in the first group that sent you an email about how it affected me and from my own childhood experience, which we talked about a little bit in the last episode. And hearing that really kind of brings a whole other wave of emotion over me because – I think one of the beautiful things about that last scene with Kirk and Taylor is that she gets something that most victims of abuse never get, and that's closure. Yeah. And it sounds like that, you know, not only is this, this helping people who have experienced abuse, but now it may actually provide some closure and some healing for people on both sides of the equation. And that's, for me right now, that's incredibly powerful. I think you're right. And you know what? You guys can be looking forward. In about two weeks, we're going to be releasing a, f- a little featurette that I did with Greg Dykstra, who wrote the story, and uh, he wrote the story, and he um, and he wrote the script, and he created the creature, and uh, and I did a wonderful little five or six or seven minute featurette with him, talking about how he came to write the story, where it comes from in his own personal experience, and then creating the creature Usti. Um, it's a wonderful featurette, and <clears throat> this weekend we're going to be releasing the uh, the bloopers. Yay! Yeah, and then and then the following weekend we're going to be releasing uh, this featurette with Greg Dykstra. So don't miss it; you're going to love it. I, awesome. I can't wait, and I plan to have a box of tissues ready at that moment. I'm not going. to I think lie. you. I think you will. I think you'll need them. You know, it's the, wonderful. There are so many strong performances in this episode, but notably, I'm just going to highlight a couple of them. Todd is totally unhinged as Spock, and it was <laughs> chilling. It was chilling. Yeah, I think you really enjoyed that a little bit, didn't you? 
Uh, oh, it was. Uh, I he had to be loving every minute of that because it just it went to a place we've never seen Spock go. Um, yeah, Michelle was incredible in this episode. I love that Doctor McKenna had one of the more pivotal revelations in this episode with how to shield the crew from the waves. Yeah, yeah. And then you know I love Gigi Edgeley, and I have to say that she puts you know, the last 15 minutes of this episode on her back and really just carries it yeah. to the goal line. She shines in this. Yeah. Did you have I her in mind for that. this all along? Um, well, I've met Gigi at some conventions that I've signed at and we became friends. And when the story was presented, <clears throat> I started going through my little Rolodex in my mind of actresses that I knew mm-hmm. uh, that would be good for this. And, of course, the, the international uh, angle is always welcome in Star Trek, um, having an Australian on there. So I approached her with it, and she agreed to do it. And uh, I would say she knocked it out of the ballpark, but she knocked it out of the city that the ballpark is in. Yeah. I mean, and I got to tell you guys something funny. The very – you're not going to believe this, and this is something, again, a little thing that, that your viewers will hear for the first time. The first scene we shot with Gigi was the scene when she walks on the bridge and says, it's his father. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was her first moment on set. And I want to tell you guys something. Nobody knew who she was. Nobody had seen her act. And she was back in the turbo lift with the door shut waiting to enter. And you could hear her sobbing and yelling like getting herself hyped up. Wow. And she walked out of the of the turbo lift and she was a, she was completely overwhelmed with emotion. Now I think that comes from a personal place for her. I I I, I don't know specifically, but I think you know, I think it comes from a per- she really tapped into something personal for her but we let her do a couple of takes because of course nobody you don't certainly don't want to discourage them right out of the gate right but at one point i i i went to her and i said Gigi, you know i love you and what you're doing is amazing but i want you to remember this you're an officer on a starship yeah so rein it in yeah rein it in keep control of it and so that was when she kind of dialed it back and held it right underneath the surface. And, and those, those were the takes that, that I used in the edit. And, uh, and it was, it was, we knew from that point on that she was just going to be amazing. And she, she certainly was. She was fantastic. Yes. You, you mentioned, you know, just that emotion for her to, as an actress to get for a very strong subject matter in this episode. But even with that, you were able to throw a lot of, humorous moments into this episode your scottish brogue when you were telling scotty he was going to the brig which was awesome and and chuck huber just laying out like a sack of rocks oh when gosh, michelle hit that him. awesome or what <laughs> oh it was, it was textbook it was awesome it was okay. so great it, let me tell you let me tell you how that moment came about when we were writing the, the script and james and greg and i were, were working through some of these scenes you were talking about you know, McKenna things from McCoy and he's probably not just going to hand them to her. And then we started, and then we started talking about, Oh my God, wouldn't it be hilarious 
if she literally just walks right in and makes a beeline straight to McCoy and clocks him. <laughs> and then we started thinking, okay, how would that really work though? I mean, that's just a little out there, right? Yeah. So the way we crafted it, as you saw, mm. is that she says to Gigi, well, uh, let me worry about McCoy. She was just going to go in there and appeal to him. But the second she enters sick bay, another red wave hits. And that is what pushes her and McCoy, to be honest. That's what pushes McCoy to turn around and go, damn it, doctor. What makes you think you can walk, you know, and they just have no patience, you know, no tolerance. And she walks right in and clocks him. And I'll tell you. (laughs) They did it four or five times, and Chuck gave me varying levels of humor, of <laughs> hilarity in the way he played that 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 moment, and it was every one of them was so hilarious, and it, it was perfect, perfect. Was it difficult to mix in that humor in an episode that had such a powerful story, or was it a good balance? I don't think so. I think. I'll tell you this, too. I think that what fan films miss, what most fan productions don't have a grasp on is humor. They don't have a grasp on the humor of Star Trek. Amen. They just don't get it. They think Star Trek is firing phasers and fighting Klingons. And Star Trek is about so much more than that. It's about relationship. It's about, you know, the the rapport that the, the characters have with each other. And um, and the humor is a big part of that. What you'll notice is that once we decide to go into the deeper part of the of the story, which is, of course, that scene in, in the briefing room with, well, let's take it even back further. Once Usti leaves the ship and mm-hmm. goes out in between and, and gets in between dad and you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Um, it's it's very serious. And you get into the briefing room scene with Spock and Kirk and 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 their remorse and their shame, embarrassment at the way they acted. And then once you get into uh, Gigi's quarters, there's no more funny business. Right. Like there's nothing funny anymore. Now it's serious. It would be a mistake to try to to try to throw a joke in there. Mm-hmm. And that's where people you know, that's where. I feel like myself and James Kerwin and even Greg Dykstra in this episode <clears throat> have a really good grasp on on how to how to how to craft the story. I, I would tend to agree 100 um, percent. Moving behind the scenes a little bit, let's talk about Usti himself. Obviously, sure. it, the physical presence of <clears throat> Usti is amazing and. Was it always supposed to be a physical creature, or at any point did you consider going CGI? Absolutely. No question. Never a question. In fact, I'll tell you something funny. Again, here comes another divine providential moment. You ready? Yeah. Three. (laughs) At least a year and a half ago, I started thinking to myself, I want to do a little bit of everything they did in the original series. I want to do a mind melt. I want to do a Spock pinch. I want to, I want to do this. I want to do that. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to have bits and pieces of everything that the original series had. And one of the things that came into my mind again, before I ever met Greg Dykstra was, I want to do a creature episode. 
the original series was known for like, you know, the Horda or the Savage Curtain or the Salt Creature or, you know, any number of monsters. And of course, in the late 60s, they had to be a guy in a suit. The Gorn! The Gorn, for crying out loud. (laughs) They had to be a guy in a suit. Now, that's all I knew, you guys, is that I wanted to do a creature episode. Wow. I didn't know what it would be. I had no idea what it would look like. I just knew I wanted to do a creature episode. Now, fast forward five or six months, and we're down at the studio shooting Divided We Stand. And here's our new buddy, Greg Dykstra, who happens to be a character designer and sculptor. And he sit, we're sitting in a restaurant, Longhorn Steakhouse. <laughs> In Kingsland, Georgia, and he says, I've got a story idea. It's about a creature that breaks through the hall of the Enterprise. And I just thought, thank you, God. Once again, once again, this strange providential moment. And, of course, being a sculptor and a designer himself, he wanted to design the creature. And there was never any question that it was going to be a physical creature. If you're going to do original Star Trek, it couldn't be anything less or anything more than that. Right. And he designed the creature. And then I have another friend named Randy. I have another friend named Randy Lloyd who works with Salt Lake Comic Con. And Randy knows a guy in – Randy knows a guy in uh, Denver, Colorado who owns a company called Distortions Unlimited. And they make creatures. They do all kinds of big builds and sculpts and latex creatures for Halloween, for anything, you name it, feature films, horror, you name it. So I contacted this guy, sent him a pic- some pictures of the creature, and uh, again, divine providence. You ready? Yeah. The guy, the guy at this company turns out to be a Star Trek fan. Oh, man. The guy that owns the company, and he says to me, if we were going to build this creature for a studio, it'd probably be $40,000. And I said, well, there's no chance that we could ever do that. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm a big Star Trek fan. I love what you guys are doing. And they did it for like five or 5000 bucks or something. Oh, wow. Wow. I can't even remember. But – and then – not only did they like spare no expense, and you'll see uh, some wonderful footage from their uh, studio when Greg and I went out there to look at the creature built for the first time. And, and they actually drove the creature from Denver, Colorado to Georgia because they didn't want it to get broken or somehow damaged in shipping. Oh, wow. So they literally drove it however long that drive was in order to ensure that it was safely delivered. And then they stayed on set for several days to, uh, to help work with the creature and get our actor, uh, you know, in costume and get it all working properly and troubleshoot if we needed to. Wow. What was, what was that like? Uh, what challenges did, did you have? Did he have a being in such a, a huge apparatus? I mean, that must've well, had he could like- only do it for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. Oh, wow. I mean, the costume itself weighs about 100 pounds, and he's a big guy. Damian Buer is a big guy. What, 6'6", 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", I don't even know, but he's big. <laughs> and uh, and 
even at, even at his size, he wore this huge brace on his back that, that had brackets that went up over his head that the torso section of Usti sat over top of. And um, once he got sealed all in there, he could do about 20 minutes. Okay. And then we had to take the head off and the arms off and little fans and blow, blow air in there and give him some water. Um, but I tell you what, he was a trooper. He did exactly what was asked of him, and he worked hard, and uh, and we couldn't be more pleased with it. Yeah, it it, it it looks great, and it did remind me a little bit of the Excalibur. So I, I liked that that little throwback with with uh, with having an actual physical creature. Quick question for you, uh, Vic: Was there was there any specific thought process in having Usti's uh, and his father's moods be the primary TOS colors? No, I don't think so. Oh, all uh, right. I, well, you'd have to ask Greg Dykes for that question. I, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. I'm like, okay, there's science is blue and there's security red <laughs> and there's command gold. We got them all. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I, I, you'd have to ask Greg that question. Okay. Except that, except that you know, the moods, what, what the moods indicated was yellow was at rest when mm-hmm. he was calm and blue was when he was scared or frightened. And red was when he was angry. Okay. Wow. Which is why Usti was almost never red. Right. And uh, and his dad was red the whole time until right. Usti went out and confronted him and and turned him back to to yellow, brought him calm again. Yes. Now you know what's fun about Usti going outside the ship, and I wonder if there's been any talk about this. When Usti says in the in the engineering room, when he says to Gigi, Usti, protect me, must protect. Well, here's the question. Is he protecting yeah. the Enterprise from his dad, or is he protecting his dad from the Enterprise? Yeah, we had that same question ourselves, and we, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I thought from my perspective, given my my history, I figured it was a little column A and a little column B. Yeah, I mean, certainly he loves Gigi, and he, and, and he, you know, and he understands that they, you know, he, he took solace and, and refuge in the ship, so he certainly doesn't want his dad to hurt these people. But at the same time, no matter how afraid you are of your dad or your mom, you would, you know, you certainly would never want to see them hurt. Right. So, yeah. Interesting I also, question. I also kind of um, compared that a little bit to the question that Kirk and Spock weren't sure about with the Horta when he when he said no kill I back in the original series. Was he, exactly. I exactly. thought that was a good which reference. Was, which was, well, which, which was the moment – in the briefing room when they were talking to Usti for the first time mm-hmm. and Gigi says, why did you come here? And Usti says, me to hurt. Yes. And I remember crafting that moment with Greg Dykstra. And I said, I, um, you know, I, I, I said, I want it to be, you know, uncertain of, of what that means. Wow. Does it mean that somebody wants to hurt him or does it mean that he came here to hurt them? Yeah, and that was one of the, another one of those things that we talked about a little bit, and I, I came down on the side of you know maybe a little bit of both too at that point. But the more I well, I can only watch this episode a few times before I need to walk away from it and compose myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, I have one other question about the creature costume. And then I'll let Dan take it from there. How the heck was Damien able to see? Because he was 
Oh, oh wow, I'll tell okay. you how. Yeah. In fact, we cover this in in uh, in the featurette that we did with Greg. Um, he wasn't able to see it all, so we literally drilled a hole in the creature's chest. One of the little crater marks was actually a camera, and the camera fed an image to a pair of goggles, a visor. Oh, man. And Damien literally wore a visor inside Usti so that he could see what was in front of him. Wow. Wow. They didn't have that back in the 60s. <laughs> no. No, that's, yeah. That's true. Their their creature probably would have lumbered around a little bit more than ours did. <laughs> that's great. That's amazing. That's awesome. So, Vic, as everyone knows, the the episode came out last week. You were down in Orlando at MegaCon for the big uh, um, release of the of the premiere of the episode. What was the reaction, and what was it like to be down there with Usti? I might add some great pictures with him. Yes, down there. and as a matter of fact, if you come down to the studio again, Usti will be on display oh. <laughs> uh, prominently right inside the door. You know that little alcove right mm-hmm. inside oh, the door, yeah. across yeah. from the poster wall. Uh, is a perfect place for Usti to be standing guard. Wow. Um, so uh, after the episode was over, Greg and Scott Granger and Royal Weaver all worked on building a, a structure, building a, a – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A um, uh, Base? Uh, yeah, like a skeletal structure yeah. for the creature to, um, you know, to, to, to mount him basically so that he could be standing there. Um the response at Megacon was wonderful. We had a great crowd, very enthusiastic. Uh, the episode looked great. Um, we had a lot of our team there, a lot of our team. Julian Higgins, who directed the episode, was there. Uh, Matt Busey, our DP, was there. Um, Greg Dykstra, the writer, and, uh, and his family were there. Uh, Ginger Holly and Hannah Baruki, our wardrobe people, were there. Uh, different people. I mean, Liz Wagner, Michelle Siles, Jay Pennington, Scott Granger, wow. uh, Dave Arland. Um, a lot of our people were there for the uh, for the for the screening for the premiere because we've never done a premiere on the eastern side of the country. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've always been, uh, you know, over here: Phoenix Comic Con, Salt Lake Comic Con, Australia. Dallas was about the furthest east we went. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and again, in the fall, we're premiering seven at Salt Lake Comic Con. But uh, a lot of those people just took the opportunity since we were premiering in Orlando, which was only three or four hours from from the studio. Yeah, they took the opportunity to to drive up and see it. Oh, that's great. That's good. Yeah, the, we've been getting a lot of great comments on our channels about the episode. Congratulations on such a another pure Star Trek story. That's the thing that we really have had great discussion on is that this to me, we've seen you know, let this be your last battlefield and other Star Trek episodes that take the tough topics. This yeah. one goes to a whole new level which I think is going to resonate with with a lot of people, and like you said, on both sides of the equation. It seems so. I, I, I hope that's true, and I believe it's true. And I'll tell you what, I'll let you in on a little secret. Episode 7 is going to be quite a, a topic, uh, quite a topical episode as well. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, we're always dropping those hints. <laughs> very topical. very And more intellectually topical than emotionally topical even. You know, it's, it's, it'll be very different in its tone, but still a classic Star Trek 
take on a, a real issue. Oh, we All can't right. wait. That's going to be out in the fall. And uh, hey, Vic, what do you have for upcoming con events, Star Trek or anime or anything well, like that? I will tell you. Let me open up Mr. Calendar here. <laughs> this weekend, I will be at Colossal Con in Sandusky, Ohio. The following weekend, I'll be at Eternal Con in Long Island, New York. The following weekend, I'll be at Denver Comic Con. The following weekend, I'll be at Sooner Con in Oklahoma City. And the following weekend, I'll be at Florida SuperCon in, in, in Miami. The following weekend, I'll be at Montreal Comic Con. The following weekend, I'll be at um, An Amazing Iowa. And the following weekend, I'll be at NatsuCon in St. Louis. The following weekend, I'll be at AF Anime Festival Orlando, back in Orlando. The following weekend, I'll be at Star Trek Vegas. So you're not too busy coming up. you got some free time on your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I have events every weekend in August, every weekend in September, every weekend in October. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's going to be a busy year, but uh, I'm very very grateful for the opportunity to share, you know, what we're doing, and to always always grateful for the opportunity to connect with the fans. Well, we love having you on every opportunity we can get, Captain. Thank you so much. Congratulations for a great episode, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. 